Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome back to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series this week, Faith That Works. So let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, with a message titled, The Power of the Tongue. As a Christian pastor, I'm about words. I speak as a profession. Words, words, words. I'm constantly talking. You know, there are times when I've come home in the evening and my family noticed that I was quiet. Well, I'd been speaking so much, I felt like I had used up my daily supply of words. Talk, talk, talk until I fall asleep at night. My tongue is constantly moving. I'm expressing things using my mouth. I'm like a construction worker whose arms have become strong. I mean, my tongue has been exercised so much in my life, I feel I could probably lift a 500-pound weight with my tongue alone. See, I know that in all of this, I am often concerned for myself. I don't say this to make some kind of a point. I, I say this because I'm actually often concerned for myself. You know, Jesus, as is recorded in Matthew 12, 36 to 37, said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And Romans 3.13, speaking of the universality of sin, says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. You know, when Isaiah met the Lord in the temple, Isaiah 6.5 quotes him as saying, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 1 Peter 3, verse 10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 18, verse 7 says, A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And finally, Proverbs 10, 19 really worries me. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. James chapter 3 is all about the words we use and, and the impact these words have on our own souls. But as we begin to read, we're reminded that back in James 1, verse 19, James has already warned us to be slow to speak. But because I've been a preacher for so many years, however anyone would characterize my life, by necessity, I've not been slow to speak. I speak, and then I speak some more. And at this stage in my life, after so many years of preaching every week, I now preach every day. What's to become of me? I've been more than once genuinely concerned for myself. Too many words, too much speaking, not enough listening, not enough quietness. Well, I don't want this to be a sermon about myself. We have come to James chapter 3, so let's read James 3 verses 1 to 6. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. 
Let's begin where James does. He's been arguing that faith apart from works is dead. And he's been using examples to highlight how true that is, whether it's to do with persevering under trials or with how we treat the poor. Faith always expresses itself in genuine and authentic action. Our faith, says James, is a perfect mirror telling us who we are, whether or not our faith is genuine. You know, having made that point, James now takes us to the realm of human speech, the words we speak, and the things we say. And because of how important this is, James tells us that we should be careful before we desire to become preachers or or teachers. But sometimes we misunderstand verse 1. You know, I have an enduring memory of my uncle. I was young, and I felt called to the ministry, and he pulled me aside one day, and he told me about James 3 verse 1. Look, he said, you don't want to do this. God will only judge you with greater strictness. Well, what do you want to be condemned for in the end, for having been a preacher or a teacher? You know, somehow I thought, it's got to be wrong. I mean, God, I thought, isn't going to punish me for becoming a preacher. Surely not. I mean, after all, 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. God does not, on the one hand, invite his servants to become leaders and teachers of the word, and then, on the other hand, inflict punishment by judging them more severely because they responded to his calling. But if I say that, am I then contradicting James 3 verse 1? Those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I am assuming that the judgment in verse 1 is not the judgment of men. It rather is the judgment of God. You know, I've heard it said, and it's true, that if a pastor commits adultery, the fallout is so much greater than when Joe the plumber commits adultery. It's a sin in both cases, but the impact of a pastor in a public position is so much greater. Now, that's true. We all know that. But I'm convinced that it's not what James is talking about here. Remember, all of what he says is in context of the use of the tongue. He's talking about bridling the tongue. He's he's talking about the use we make of words. I think James is speaking about something very specific. Teachers will be judged with greater strictness around what they say. But why? Well, the answer is obvious. Teachers are entrusted with teaching God's people Scripture. They have this awe-filled responsibility speaking for God. I mean, that's why teachers and preachers have got to limit their words in teaching to the actual text of Scripture, showing what the text actually says, showing the text in context, following the actual progression of Scripture itself, and helping God's people make application. I love the story that's often been recounted around John Kelvin. After he'd been removed from his pulpit in Geneva, he was after a time able to return. And rather than making comments about how glad he was to be back, he simply stepped into his pulpit where there was a marker in his Bible where he had left off when he was last with them. And without any word of introduction, he just began to speak from the text itself. That's because he never thought it was about him or his experiences. You know, as far as he was concerned, the only thing God's people should care about was Scripture. Learn it. Believe it. Obey it. Apply it. That's a lesson for all of us. It's, it's not about us, that is, preachers. It's not about our kids, our marriages, our view of anything. It's about what God has said and about our calling to explain the Scriptures and not make ourselves to be the subject of conversation. 
we will be judged much more severely. If Joe the plumber says something about Scripture that doesn't comport with the Word, yes, he will be judged. But if Joe the preacher says something about Scripture that's not in keeping with the Word, he will be judged much more severely. Now, having said that, James is going to tell us why it is that the tongue is so important. It's not just important for preachers and Bible teachers. It's actually important for all of us. James tells us that the tongue, what we say, is the key to holy living. Now, again, preachers understand that. You know, I'm personally overwhelmed at how often someone has told me that it was in a sermon that they were converted or repented or began to believe a promise or found hope in the midst of despair. You know, I still treasure a note that I got years ago in which a man told me that that he was at the point of suicide and Sunday after Sunday, simply listening to the word being explained, drew him back from the abyss. And he said he found ground on which to stand, and he began to live by hope, and he eventually found joy where there had only been despair. God's word does that, words spoken, words spoken into the heart. But we're also reminded that words can have the opposite effect. Look again at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, please don't let the word perfect throw you. We've already seen way back in James chapter 1, verse 4, that James has said that the person who endures under trial will be perfect, he said, lacking in nothing. And we noticed then that James was not talking about sinlessness. He was talking about maturity. And that's also what he means in chapter 3, verse 2. If we learn not to stumble in our speaking and put away the hasty word or the lying word or the harmful gossip or the sly innuendo or the impure and salty language that we might use, if we learn to use our speech clear of those traps that cause us and others to stumble, well, we will become mature believers. Indeed, that's the mark of Christian maturity. To a great degree, it rests on the words we speak. Indeed, the words we speak are so powerful, they direct the spiritual course of everyone. Back to the Bible Canada has just wrapped up another fiscal year, and we're beyond grateful for all your gifts toward our year-end target. Your generous donations have helped position this ministry for another successful year of sharing the gospel in every way imaginable. We're so excited for everything we have in store for this next year, so stay tuned. Our match campaign in June was a huge success, but we're humbled to say the amount of the pledges we received for the match campaign exceeded our expectations. Therefore, we're able to extend the campaign into July with an additional $75,000. So dollar for dollar, your gift will be matched up to an additional $75,000 in the month of July. We're so grateful for your gracious support right across Canada. So to double your impact, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. In the beginning of James chapter 3, James helps us understand something we often don't understand. Remember as children, we used to say, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
See, I can't imagine something that we might have said that was as untrue as that statement. I would take sticks and stones over malicious words at any time. Indeed, no one ever even throws sticks or stones or beats another if it is not inspired by the words we speak. Through his tongue, Adolf Hitler inspired unimaginable cruelty. Through the tongue and the extension of the tongue, the pen, communism spread around the world, enslaving and killing hundreds of millions. Indeed, when James speaks about the power of the tongue, I want you to notice the five things he says are true of the tongue. Number one, the tongue is the bridle that directs the course of every human life. And that's quite a statement. And that's exactly what James says in verse 2. And then in order to illustrate that statement, listen again to his two examples of that point. I'm reading verses 3 and 4. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, because of the invention of the automobile, and most of us have very little experience with horses, you know, in some fashion, I suppose this illustration has lost some of its force. But it is a remarkable thing to be with a powerful horse whose power would quickly overwhelm even the strongest man being directed by a little child. That bit in the mouth is so remarkable, a tiny little tug pulls that massive animal anywhere. Same of the rudder, small in relationship to the whole ship, is, is turned in one direction, and the ship simply moves according to that one little element. And that's the tongue. Speak a word, and a human life is directed by that word. Now, James has already said that much. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 26, he said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's faith is worthless. There's a story that's told of the first battle in the American Civil War. That was the famous Battle of Bull Run, in which the South soundly defeated Union troops. You know, in the early part of the battle, it appeared that it was going the other way. A Confederate soldier told General Jackson, he was the Confederate commander, he said, General, we're losing the fight. And to which Jackson, whose reputation was of a stern disciplinarian, simply shot back. He said to the soldier in a stern rebuke, soldier, if you think it, I will thank you not to speak it. See, Jackson knew that this kind of talk would turn an entire battle. He was right. And it's true today. See, here's a mundane example. When things are going bad and you're suffering or you're disappointed, if you express it, it will turn the course of your life. But let's say instead of expressing your despair, you say, you know, I'm convinced that God in his meticulous sovereignty has designed this for my long-term good. And, and because of his gracious oversight of my life, I'm grateful for this very moment. Ha, that's also going to direct the course of your life. Your words are like the bridle in the mouth of that horse. That large animal is directed by the tug of your words. James says, your words bridle your body. If you learn to master what you say, it will control the way you live. Your tongue is so much more than what you say aloud. It, it directs your life and the lives of those around you. See, I've noticed in churches where gossip is not controlled, it encourages others to gossip. It eventually decimates the spiritual life of an entire church. I have noticed that when slander is allowed to stand without challenge, the world of lies are given free reign. Now, James is right. Control your tongue and you control your body. 
But James is not done. He has more to say about the tongue. The second thing he says is that the tongue is often used to paint an untruthful picture of reality. Look at the first part of verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You know, boasting is in some ways just a sign of bravado. Boasting is to speak of our achievements. It's to do so with excess. It's to paint a picture which is not reality. It's to tell ourselves what we're going to accomplish in the future. You know, in, in 1 Kings chapter 20, after King Ben-Hadad of Syria threatened Israel with what he would do to Israel in a war, Israel's king responded, and I quote, Let not him who straps on his armor boast of himself as he who takes it off. Translation, don't go around boasting until you've actually accomplished something. But boasting is the way in which we inflame others. Curtis Vaughn put it this way. He says, the tongue can sway men to violence or it can move them to the noblest actions. It can instruct the ignorant, encourage the defected, comfort the sorrowing, and soothe the dying. Or it can crush the human spirit, destroying reputations, spread mistrust and hate, and bring nations to the brink of war. You know, wars happen as one nation boasts about what it will do to the other or spreads mistrust and hatred. The tongue boasts great things, things that it will bring into being. Now, having established both the power of the tongue and then its capacity to envision future outcomes, James now adds his third point. The tongue, he says, has power to direct the entire world into wickedness. I'm reading the latter part of verse 5 and then the beginning of verse 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now that phrase, world of unrighteousness, well, that's a curious phrase. The Greek word cosmos, from which we get the translation world, you know, it's common in the New Testament, and often cosmos is used not to refer to the physical earth itself, but to a system or what we might call a culture or a way of thinking. And it often refers to sinfulness, to a system that's hostile to God, a system that rejects Christ. It's the arena in which evil happens. You know, if that's what James has in mind, then the world of unrighteousness is everything that, that falls short of the glory of God. It's expressed in its rejection of God and his kingdom. That this world of unrighteousness can be set ablaze by the tongue, ha, that's a powerful image. There's enough latent evil already in the world, but the tongue inflames that which is there. I mean, we can imagine how the tongue is used to inflame hatred between nations, between races of people, between other groups. Without the use of speech, the evil that exists would often find no ability to, to light the world on fire. But let's remember that after two world wars in the last century, it was the tongue's ability to inflame that set the entire world at war. And from the macro, James now makes it personal. His fourth point is that the tongue, therefore, has the power to set the trajectory of any human life. The middle of verse 6 says, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. You know, when James speaks about the entire course of life, he's speaking about the trajectory of a human life from birth to death. John Stott, in commenting on this verse, says, Left to itself, 
since the tongue is involved so fundamentally in all the thoughts, imaginings, longings, and plans which lie behind the whole of our earthly life. It leaves the mark of its own defilement everywhere." End quote. You know, if our words are really the bridle that turns the very nature of a human life, and each life is in the image of God, then, then words, words, words are the very means by which we journey either to heaven or to hell. Words, words of fear, words of doubt, words of anger, words of unbelief, words of despair, words of profanity, words of hatred. All these words come out of our mouths, and like the bit in the mouth of the horse, these words shape and they direct each individual life. Now, James adds one more, the last feature of the power of the tongue. I'm reading the last part of verse 6. He says, and the tongue is set on fire by hell. Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies. Words come from him, and his words do not reflect the truth. They are the opposite of truth. Hell is full of words, and hell inspires a world of words to do evil. And with that, we are left to consider James' opening words. Take care, he says, so that everyone should not be a, a preacher or a teacher of the word, because the tongue is the greatest weapon the world possesses. Understand that those who use the tongue to teach, those who wield such power, will be held in the strictest of judgment. Control this thing to the glory of God, and you'll direct the course of countless peoples. John, this is a message all of us need to hear, but let me ask you something. When it comes to the things that we've said that haven't been good, is there a responsibility for us to reverse those things? Yeah, such a good question. I, ben, I, I don't know how to reverse some of the things that uh, we have said. Sometimes a wall is built because of harmful things that are said. Uh, a person has taken deep offense. Uh, there's no way back. The relationship seems to be broken. Um, so I think all we're left with at that juncture is, number one, we go to God and we earnestly confess our sins. And then secondly, we go to the person that we've harmed and we do the same to them. Uh, we take responsibility for the harm that we've done and uh, we own that in their presence and we ask for forgiveness. If that's freely offered, praise God the angels are singing. And if not, we have done all that we can and we fall upon grace, recognizing that Christ's grace is sufficient. Thanks so much, John. And join us again tomorrow, would you, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. At Back to the Bible Canada, our mission is simple. Teach the Bible. The perfect guidance and instruction on how we are to live our lives is already available in His Word. The Bible is the only self-help book you'll ever need. This month, we have an outstanding resource to help prime your hearts to receive the wisdom of the Bible. Before You Open Your Bible by Matt Smethurst is an excellent book that shares how we can position our mindset to one of gratitude and humbleness in preparation for reading the Word. We're confident this will help positively influence the way you view your Bible study. And that's why we've made this resource available for you for free for the month of July. 
So simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free copy or to send a financial gift to support this Bible teaching ministry.